Well, today we're going to get into part three of our four-part series, The Chase. And we're going to be talking about the domino effect. But let's just uh, catch everybody up to, to where we've been, whether you've uh, been here and this is just a refresher or whether you're just stepping in for the very first time. We've been looking at this thing called The Chase. And The Chase for us is this idea of when we pursue God and God pursues us, this mutual pursuit. When, when both are pursuing each other, it's, this, it's the chase. And it's the chase that, that we really need to have in our lives. That, that we need to understand that God. He's not hiding from us. God, God's not avoiding us. He's not moving away from us. That, that No, God, God's moving toward us and, and that we need to be moving toward God. That, that's having a heart for God when we move toward him. And, and so we've looked at this and having a heart for God and what that means. See, when you love God, you chase him and you don't chase him because of what he can do for you and what he's going to hand out to you, but you chase him because of what he means to you. That, that's why you pursue the chase. So we've looked at this, and, and, and when we have a heart for God, a heart that pleases God, it's, it's a heart that is humble. It's a heart that's humble, saying, I don't need credit. I, I don't need the glory. God may go to you, and it's humble. It's a humble heart. That It's a willing heart. It's a heart that goes, hey, I'm not just informed, but I'm willing to do, God, whatever you would lead me to do. It's a heart that's surrendered. It's surrendered because there are times that, that we want something that's different than what God wants for us. We go, I, but I want to go, and God's like, no, but I want you. And so we have to surrender our will and go, okay, God, I'm surrendered, and I'll do what you want instead of what I want. Last week, we looked at one of the most um, memorable passages in the Old Testament. And as we looked at that, we, we looked at this life event of David and Goliath. Yes, this actual event that took place and is recorded in Scripture for us to read about this. And we looked at this from the idea of the improbable victory. And as we looked at this from the improbable victory, it was where God sent a boy to do what a man wouldn't do. That, that no man would step up and say, I'll take on Goliath, this giant, and I will face him, and I will defeat him because God is with. No man would step up and do this. And so David, who was just a boy, a teenager, he stepped up and said, I will do this. That the greater your faith in God is, this is what we learned last week, that the smaller the obstacles you face, the smaller they become. That, that, that's what we learned as we looked at this, that, that David had an incredible faith in God, that, that he had a heart that, that was chasing after God. He had a courageous heart for God. And so David, when he's looking at this giant, he's just blinking and thinking, I, I, don't, I don't see a giant there. The only giant in my life is God. And, and, and when you have God as your giant, what God does is, is, is he just starts to shrink all these other obstacles in our lives. And so we looked at this and said, hey, when next time that, that you're facing a giant, whatever that giant is, whatever this big obstacle is, that, that this is an invitation for you to have faith in God, to trust God, and to watch what God's going to do to topple that giant in your life as you completely trust in him and that we can be part of this victory that is so improbable and so our faith our faith is either going to falter or it's going to flourish that, that, that there's going to be things that's going to cause our, our faith to falter and we're just going to kind of keep slipping away from our trust in God or our, our faith in God our trust in him is just going to grow it's going to do one of these two things and for us, that the more that you know God, the more that you know God, the more that you know God through the pages of Scripture, the more you know God through the practice of prayer, the more that you know God through the participation in praise, the more that your faith is going to flourish. So today, we're going to talk about the domino effect. But let's catch up to where 
we are going to be inside of Scripture. So we're still looking at David. David, who is going to be the next king, the second king of Israel. Saul was the first king. Saul's heart had grown hard. He started chasing things other than God, and his heart began to grow hard. And God was displeased with Saul, and he reached the point where he said, I'm sorry I ever made Saul king. And so he tells Samuel, who was the prophet of the day, I, I want you to go and anoint somebody that I'm going to point out to you and show and reveal to you, because that's going to be the next king. So he does, and he goes, and he finds, and he discovers, he gets introduced to David, and he anoints him. After that anointing is when we see that David ends up facing off against Goliath. He's got God's anointing. He has so much faith and trust in God, and he just goes in, he pursues, and he defeats Goliath. But now let me catch you up to some things that takes place since then before we jump into Scripture. What happens after this is that David ends up becoming an assistant to Saul. That, that he comes into his home, he lives in his home, he's there to comfort him. That, that David has talent, he's, he's musically talented, he plays the harp, he plays the lyre. The lyre is just a small little portable version of a harp that, that he plays that and he would soothe and comfort Saul because Saul has a tormenting spirit. That, that God had sent a tormenting spirit on Saul and he had anointed David. So now David's there and David's trying to help comfort him and, but, but Saul quickly became jealous of David. And the reason he became jealous of David is because the people, the Israelites, they started praising David more than they praised Saul. And again, he's got this tormenting spirit. And, and so we begin to see in the pages of Scripture where Saul attempts to take David's life. But God protects him. Eventually, God tells David, after David's even fought some battles for Israel, and he, saw, he, he says, you need to go and, and you need to get away. And so he does. He goes and gets away. He actually goes out in the hill country and, and he's living in the caves and he's just waiting for his time. And as he's waiting for his time, Saul is on mission. The only war that Saul is interested in is a war with David, a war that is going to take David's life out. Because now he knows, okay, this is who's going to be the next king unless I do something about it. And so now Saul is on a mission to go hunt down David and kill him. On, on one of these missions, he catches up to an area where David is. He doesn't know that he's actually at the location with David. In fact, he goes into a cave because he needs to go use the restroom and he's king. So he's not going to do that in front of everybody. So he goes into this dark cave. And as he goes into this dark cave, the cave that he chose out of all the caves was a cave that David was in with a couple of his mighty men. And he's in this cave and, and some of his mighty men are telling David, now's your chance. Take him out. David wouldn't do it because David's like, God's not told me to do it. I'm, I'm, not going to do, I'm not going to take his life. So he had the opportunity, but he didn't. Saul ends up leaving from there. In one of the battles that Saul ends up facing going to war with others, through some events that took place there, Saul, his life was over. His kids' lives were over in that same battle. And then David ends up becoming king from there. And you can actually read about the events of David becoming king in 2 Samuel chapter 5 and just kind of see what happens and how God begins to bless and anoint him as he begins to take over and lead the nation. We are going to jump forward now to chapter 11. So he's been king. It was a 15-year period from the time that he slayed Goliath to where he becomes king of Israel. And so now he's king. He's been king for a season. And we're going to catch this up starting in chapter 11, 2 Samuel chapter 11. 
that as, as we look at this, we can see. It says, in the spring of the year when kings normally go out to war. You could be somebody that you're here today and you're like going, I, I don't know anything about this story. I don't know about this event. I'm not even sure who this David guy is that, that you're talking about. And that's fine. We're glad you're here. And, and, and you don't have to know anything. But, but you can look at this and go, that doesn't sound very good. That, that sounds like something's going to happen that, that shouldn't be happening. Look at it. In the spring of the year when kings normally go out to war, that they go out and, and they do this. So it's like setting the scene. And so we understand this because we've already looked at this and seen this happen, that, that when we have a heart that, that, that beats for God, that this heart for God, when we want to pursue and we're in this chase, that, that we have a heart for God, we even get a courageous heart for him. But this is something else we need to know, that, that we need to be protective of our heart. And the reason that we need to be protective of our heart is because if we are not protective of it, if we're not cautious and protecting our heart, then our heart can start making decisions that lead to a domino effect in our life that will lead to major, major, major regrets. And this is what we're going to find out of some major regrets that happens in the life of King David, who was anointed by God, who had a heart for God. But his faulty heart took over. So in the spring of the year, when kings normally go out to war, David sent Joab, the, Joab and the Israelite army to fight the Ammonites. They destroyed the Ammonite army, and they laid siege to the city of Rabbah. And so David doesn't go. It's the spring of the year. The, the, what happens is, is, is in the wintertime, it, the, the conditions are terrible, and, and most kings just go, yeah, we're just not going to fight. It, it, it's just not the best condition. And so they wait until spring. In the spring, the, that's when the battle, that's when the war gets back on. And it's now in the spring, it's beginning of the year. This is when kings normally go out to war. But David chose not to. Look at this. However, David stayed behind in Jerusalem. And this decision to stay behind in Jerusalem, and the decisions that follow. They could have all been avoided if David had built boundaries and abided by them. That if David had built boundaries, and if he even would have abided by some of the boundaries that were already built and already in place, that he could have protected himself. So I think we all have the understanding of the domino effect. That we probably have all had some experience on some level of playing with dominoes in this way. Where we take a domino and we pull that domino out. And when we pull that domino out, we stack up a couple of other dominoes. Maybe you've only done it with a handful. Maybe you've done it with dozens. Maybe you've been like, Mom, 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 are there more sets? Because you're like going to build as big of contraptions. You, you got hundreds. And then you can see people on YouTube. They got thousands and tens of, you know, we all, and you just take and you just topple that one. You just knock that first one over. And the series of events that takes place from there, it's, just, it's, it's fascinating when you're just playing, playing with the dominoes. It's devastating when you're playing with your life. And the domino effect that can take place. That, that we all have this understanding that when just one falls, everything else topples over with it. And so I, I've, I've got a little domino, make-believe domino here. And, and the reason I've got such a little domino is because this is what I think we do with our lives. I, I, I think we get to this place where we go, I'm going to make this decision. It, it's just a little decision, and this is something that I want. 
And so I'm, I'm just going gonna, gonna to act on it. it. It's just, it's small. It really doesn't matter. It's just this tiny, tiny little thing. And I'm going to, I'm going to do what, what, what harm can there be? Because see, it is just a little domino. But what I want us to do this morning is I want us to spend time on the domino effect of a faulty heart. That, that, that's what I want us to look at. I want to share four things with you when it comes to the domino effect of a faulty heart. And we're going to look at these from what happened in the life of David. And the reason that we're looking at with this, with the life of David, is because this is a man who had a heart that beat for God. This is a man that, that he was going, hey, I, I can do anything for God, through God, as long as I'm following. This, this is who he was. But through the domino effect in his faulty heart, he ended up making a series of choices that he would regret. And so the domino effect of a faulty heart, one, is it rationalizes poor choices. It rationalizes poor choices. We, we know it's a poor choice. We know it's not a wise choice. We know it's not the best choice. But we go, but it's what I, it's what I want. And, you know, what's the harm? What's the, it's not going to hurt anybody. It's not going to affect anybody. This is just what I want to do. David, he abandoned his purpose as king when he chose not to go off to war. That's what you do. You, you go off to war in the spring. And I think the reason that he abandoned this is because he was able to rationalize poor choices. He was able to rationalize this poor choice of not going. You know, maybe it was this way. Maybe he went, you know, when I was still a boy, there, there wasn't a man that would step up and stand up to Goliath. I put my life on the line as a boy. And I went out there and I faced him and I slayed him. Maybe he rationalized it this way. You know, I, I fought underneath King Saul. I fought for him, even though he was fighting against me. And then there were times where he was trying to take my life. And I had to live out in the hills. There were times that I came close to starving to death, me and some of my men. And we stayed true to God. And so, you know, I, I, deserve, I deserve a little break. That, that we can look at it to see how we can justify. That, that David was somebody he recruited and he raised up some mighty men. They're called David's mighty men. And, and he raised up and he taught them and he showed them how to fight. And he's going, hey, I equipped these guys, I recruited them, I trained them, and now they're able to do this. And so, you know, I'm just going to send them off because I put all this time, effort, and energy into them. And so I just deserve a little time off. That, that when we look at the domino effect of a faulty heart, that one of the things that ends up taking place is that it rationalizes poor choices. And David rationalized his poor choice. Faulty heart. It's the plan of a flawed heart to make these poor choices and rationalize them. That what we see is we see this in the life of David, and we can see it in our own lives as well. And what we see is that faulty hearts ignore boundaries. It's what they do. It's a faulty heart that ignores the boundaries. David didn't establish the boundary of, in the spring, this is when kings go off to fight their battle. He didn't establish that boundary. That was a boundary that was already set in motion. And that you go and you lead your people. You be with your army. But it was a boundary that he ignored. I, I don't need to do it. And he rationalized his poor choice to do that and then there's a series of choices that he continues to rationalize that he makes and it's the domino effect 
of a flawed heart. So we all have a flawed heart. Every single one of us. That we all have a flawed heart. And and we have a flawed heart. And our flawed heart, it wants to take over. And, And our flawed heart, you know what it wants to do? It wants to kick out any sense of godliness that we have in our lives. It wants to give it the boot. It wants to kick that out of our lives, and it wants to invite us to just live for ourselves. Just do what you want to do. Just do whatever's going to make you happy. This is what a flawed heart tells us. And when we listen to our flawed heart, we will end up making a series of this domino effect. We will make a series of choices that we will live to regret. Choices that we wish that we could go back in time and undo. The domino effect of a faulty heart. Secondly, it seeks what satisfies in the moment. That's the domino effect, right? It rationalizes poor choices and then it seeks what satisfies in the moment. What's going to satisfy me right now? What's going to satisfy me right here? What is it that that is going to make me feel good? And it's part of the domino effect of a faulty heart. And we get to see what happens in David's life when he seeks to satisfy what is available to him in the moment. Second Samuel, we'll pick this up, verse 2, chapter 11. Late one afternoon after the midday rest, David got out of bed and was walking on the roof of the palace. As he looked out over the city, he noticed a woman of unusual beauty taking a bath not just a beautiful this woman of unusual beauty so David he's in his palace his palace is higher it's on the hill it's higher than any other and so he goes out on his bed he looks out and he's looking and he's just taking a view and he sees this woman of what exceptional beauty taking a bath and what happens next is part of this domino effect of a faulty heart, of seeking what satisfies in the moment. Verse 3. He sent someone to find out who she was. And he was told, she is Bathsheba. Oh, the irony, right? She, she is Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam and the wife of Uriah the Hittite. As he sends Word sends a messenger to go tell me. I want you to find out who that woman of unusual beauty is. I want you. I want you to tell me who it is. And I think this messenger that came back to him. I think he was smart enough to go, I, I, King. King, I, I, I think I know what you're thinking. And so he doesn't just come back and say, "I found out her name. Her name is Bathsheba." He comes back and he says, "She's Bathsheba, King. She is a daughter." She's a daughter. She has a father, Eliam. That, that, that's her dad. Not only does she have a dad, not only is she a daughter, she's got a husband. She's married. She's married to a man named Uriah the Hittite, to which should have clued David in, oh, Uriah, the, of knowing who he was and the high position he had in his army. See, for Bathsheba to be within eyeshot of David, that, that for, her, for her to be living in a structure that was close enough to the palace that he could... He had to be somebody of significance. And so the messenger comes back and tells him, she is Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam and the wife of Uriah the Hittite. In Scripture, as we look at this, 
It, it tells us what we've all experienced. Sin seeks to seize our heart. That's what sin does. It, sin seeks to seize our heart, to, to squeeze out any sense of godliness, any sense of desire to live for God. It, it sends to squeeze, to seize our heart. Kick that out and just live for yourself. The temptation, it, it poses a great threat, a very great danger with our faulty heart. The, the, the temptation, there, there's, there's nothing wrong, there's no shame, there should be no embarrassment in what we get tempted for. But there's shame in our sin and what we end up doing. And, and most of us, we end up treating these things opposite of how they really are. That, that what we do, we feel shame over how we're tempted, but we're okay with how we choose to sin. We, we feel shame in that way. We don't want other people to know where we're tempted, but, you know, because we feel so much shame about it. And some of our sin, we're like, we don't care if they know because that's just what we're going to do. It, it's, it's what we've done. It's a faulty heart that comes in and takes over. That we've all made some of these flawed decisions in our lives. Listen, living for God is a difficult path. It is. It is a difficult path, but it's not a complicated one. Don't, don't, don't confuse it. It's difficult to choose to live for God, but it's not complicated. It, it's something that we can easily know. What is it that's going to please God and what's not going to please God? We're the ones that make it complicated. And we make it complicated like this. That, that we go, okay, once you bow the knee of your heart to God and, and you trust Jesus as your Savior, what we end up doing is we become these people that go, okay, God, I want to please you. But I want to please myself as much as I possibly can, too, while I'm still pleasing you. And, and what all can I do? And what can I get? And, and we begin to complicate it because we keep wanting to push and push and push and push the boundaries. We're the ones that complicate it. It's a difficult path, but it is not a complicated one in order for us to live our life with a heart that pleases God. Verse 4 says, then David sent messengers to get her. He found out who she was. Then David sent messengers to get her. And when she came to the palace... He slept with her. Go get her. Bring her here. And he sleeps with her. And then scripture gives us this tidbit of information. It's kind of like out of nowhere. We're kind of like going, that's kind of gross. Why, why did we even need to know this? But we need to know this because it sets the stage. And this is what scripture tells us. She had just completed the purification rites after having her menstrual period. Then she returned home. What this tells us is it tells us there is no way that she was pregnant when she came and slept with David. That, that's why that piece of information is in there. There was no way that she was pregnant when she came and she slept with David. Verse 5, later, when Bathsheba discovered that she was pregnant, she sent David a message saying, I'm pregnant. That, that, that what should have been a social media moment, it should have been a tweet, it should have been a post, it should have been a, we're expecting. It wasn't. There was shame. Private little message, you, you just need to know this. I don't know what we're supposed to do about this. Now we're going to handle this. But I'm pregnant. The domino effect of a faulty heart, it rationalizes poor choices. 
It seeks what satisfies in the moment. Third thing, it conspires to cover up behaviors from our past. It conspires to cover up behaviors from our past. What happens next is David, quick thinker, and he goes, okay, I know what I'll do. And he sends a messenger to Joab, who's off fighting the battle. He sends him to Joab and says, hey, I want you to send back Uriah the Hittite. I want you to send him back, send him back home. And so Uriah the Hittite, he comes back home. That David greets him and has a little small talk. Hey, how's the war going? How's the campaign going? And, and then he tells him, hey, you know what? You, you just deserve a little break. You deserve a little R&R. I, I just want you to be able to go home, enjoy some time with your wife. That that's, that's what I, I want you to do. That David even sent a gift ahead of him and sent that home. But, but Uriah didn't go home and go be with his wife. Instead, he actually slept on the steps next to the palace guard. We're going to pick this up, verse 10. When David heard that Uriah had not gone home, he summoned him and asked, What's the matter? Why didn't you go home last night after being away for so long? I go, Why, why, why wouldn't you do this? And Uriah replied, The ark, capital A, that this place where, where God's presence would, would stay and be prominent. The, the ark. And the ark was something that would get carried off to the battlefield. And it would get carried off to the battlefield because it was going, hey, you wanted God's presence there at the battlefield because you wanted to be able to win the battle and you wanted God's presence there to be one that was going to deliver the victory to you. And so this ark was there. And it was there at the battlefront. And it was there. And, and, and he goes on. And he says, the ark. And what else does he say? The ark and the armies of Israel and Judah. Judah was just a, a subset of Israel. They'd broken into two branches. And so it's still the same group of people. He says, the ark and the armies of Israel and Judah are living in tents. And Joab and my master's men are camping in the open fields. He's asked, why, why didn't you go home and sleep? Because he had an honor code. So he had an honor code. And his honor code was, I, I, I couldn't go do that knowing what everybody else is going through right now. Had an honor code. An honor code because David started chasing things that weren't after the, after the heart of God, that his heart became hard, and he lost his honor code. But Uriah still had his. And he says, how could I go home to wine and dine and sleep with my wife? I swear I would never do such a thing. So David, what he does is he's going... <laughs> I, I, I sent for you, Uriah, and, and I want you to go spend time with your wife because, because you need some much-deserved time with her. And so, so I want you to, and, and Uriah wouldn't do it. So what does David do next? What David does next is he invites him to a feast. He gets him drunk. And he gets him drunk because he knows what happens with drunk people. He knows that with drunk people, this is where you lose some of your inhibitions. And he was hoping that he would lose some of his inhibitions and that he wouldn't follow his own honor code. Let me get you drunk, and that way you'll go. And you, But even drunk, he didn't go home, and he slept on the palace steps again. And when this happened, David writes a note to Joab, seals it, hands it to Uriah, and says, I need you to take this message back to Joab. 
commander. And what he handed Uriah with his own death note. Look at this with me. So the next morning, verse 14. So the next morning, David wrote a letter to Joab and gave it to Uriah to deliver. The letter instructed Joab, station Uriah on the front lines where the battle is fiercest. Then pull back so that he will be killed. Station him on the front line, pull back so that he will be, that, that's the note. That's what he sent him to Joab. See, the domino effect of a faulty heart. What we end up seeing is, is yes, it rationalizes poor choices. It seeks what satisfies in the moment. It conspires to cover up past behavior, these behaviors from our past. And then the last thing I want us to look at is it is content with collateral damage. The, the, the domino effect, it is content with collateral damage. So after this happened, and he went back into the battlefield, a messenger comes back to David and gives him a report. We'll pick this up in 23. The enemy came out against us in the open fields, he said. And, and as we chased them back to the city gates, the archers on the wall, they shot arrows at us. And some of the king's men were killed, including Uriah the Hittite. It wasn't, and Uriah the Hittite was, some of the men, some of the king's men, they were killed, including Uriah the Hittite. And what David does next shows that he is absolutely content with the collateral damage. This is what he says. Well, tell Joab not to be discouraged. The sword devours this one today and, and that one tomorrow. Fight harder next time and, and conquer the city. He's content with the collateral damage and, and all the other costs and all the other hurt and all the other heartache and all the other lives lost. He was totally content with it. So the, the domino effect. See, I, I think that, that we're familiar with the domino effect to this extent. That, that we're familiar with this to where we go, yeah, yeah, one little domino, you know, we can topple it over and it can knock over another little domino, another little. That's what we're familiar with. But did you know that that domino effect, that it, that domino, it can actually knock over something bigger than itself. It can actually knock over something with 50% more mass than itself when it topples over this, this one little choice that we can justify we rationalize it we knock it over look at what it can do It's just the little dominoes, what we tell ourselves. It's just, it's just one little decision. It's just one little choice that I made. I rationally, I, I'm okay with it. But we have to realize the domino effect and the power of what it can topple. And it will end up leading to toppling some of the biggest things in our life that we never thought would be touched because of one little choice that we made. David had a hard heart and he couldn't even see this coming, the domino effect.
the dangers that come with it. And a faulty heart, it tends to dismiss the warning signs. That there's these warning signs all around us and, and they're cluing us in. That there's a warning. Hey, David, you just need to go off to, you, that's what you need to go be with your man. And there's the warning sign of, that David, I found out her name. She's a daughter. She's a wife. That, that Uriah, the Hittite, he comes in and he wants to cover this up. Conspire. He, he fails to heed these warning signs. Verse 26 says, when Uriah's wife heard that her husband was dead, she mourned for him. And when the period of mourning was over, David sent for her and brought her to the palace. And she became one of his wives. One of them. Because he had multiple. His first one was, was Saul's daughter. He got her because he slayed Goliath. But he had other wives. He even had other concubines. But he hadn't had Bathsheba before and he wanted her. And you know what this looks like? David takes this whole situation and he goes, I'm going to show what a gracious king I am. Because see, one of my leaders in my army was killed on the front line of the battlefield fighting for us. And, and his wife, his pregnant wife, I, I'm just going to take her in as one of mine. Look at the compassion that David, that's what it looked like to others. Is that he was just having this big compassion, caring for this widow. It says, then she gave birth to a son, but the Lord was displeased with what David had done. That the Lord was displeased. That David had shown no remorse for his sin. That, that David abused power. This abuse of power by avoiding the battlefield. This abuse of power by having this adulterous relationship. This abuse of power by attempting to deceive Uriah and get him to sleep with his wife so he would think that this child is his. This abuse of power by actually murdering Uriah. So the Lord sent a prophet to him, the prophet Nathan. And Nathan came to him and, and God gave Nathan a story to tell David. And this was the story. King David. There were these two guys. There was a rich guy and there was a poor guy. The rich guy had all sorts of flock and he had all sorts of, of animals and goats and cattle and, and lambs and, and he was so wealthy. Then the poor guy, he only had one livestock. It was just a little lamb. And that little lamb that he worked so hard to get, that he treated that lamb as family. That that lamb actually stayed in their home with him. That that lamb would come to the dinner table. He would hold that lamb and he would bottle feed it while, while all the family would eat together. That this lamb felt like family to him. And, and then there was a guest that came to visit the rich man. And the rich man, when the guest came, says, oh, you know what, I, I want to slay an animal. I, I want to sacrifice an animal that I can use as a feast and to be able to feed my guest. And so instead of choosing one of his own, he goes and gets the poor man's one lamb. This is the story that Nathan told David. And we see David's response. Chapter 12, verse 5. David was furious. As surely as the Lord lives, he vowed any man who would do such a thing deserves to die. He must repay four lambs to the poor man for the one he stole and for having no pity. Listen, sin has a price tag. Sin is always on sale, but it is never for sale. In other words, it's never discounted. 
It, it, it's always full retail price. We will always pay retail for our sin. The, the, the cost is high. Verse 7, then Nathan said to David, you are that man. The Lord, the God of Israel says, I anointed you as king of Israel and saved you from the power of Saul. Nathan goes on to tell him on God's behalf, if what I was giving to you wouldn't have been enough, you should have come to me and asked me and I would have given you more. But instead you went and took something that you should have never had. And now God's displeased with him and now God lays out some of the consequences for David because of his choices. This was the first time that David's faulty heart was able to actually see the domino effect of what had taken place because of his sins. Listen, when you look at the devastation across the land, whether we're talking drug addiction, whether we're talking fatherless kids, whether we are talking sex trafficking, mass shootings, as our heart goes out to victims this week. When you look at the devastation, these are the results of the domino effect of sin. That what started as just one little poor choice that was rationalized, it leads to toppling something so big that we never even imagined. Today's talk, it's a warning. It's not a feel-good talk. And I realize you're going, yeah, we figured that out, Will. It doesn't feel very good. But it is a warning. And so everything else has just been a little set up so that I could share with you the real message today. The domino effect warnings. And I've just got two. First one, build boundaries. Build boundaries. Start looking, thinking, examining. Where in my life do I need to build boundaries? Where, where do you need to build boundaries when it comes to social media? Where do you need to build boundaries when it comes to the way that you use the web, the way you might be involved in some chats? Where do you need to build some boundaries? Where do you need to build boundaries with the way that you spend time away from your family? Where do you need to build boundaries? Where do you need to build some boundaries with the people that you spend time with and the choices you make with them? Where do you need to set some boundaries. Build boundaries to prevent the heartaches. Build boundaries to prevent your heartache and to prevent the heartache of people that you love and care about. Build boundaries. The second one is stay on guard. Build boundaries and stay on guard. You can't just build a boundary, set it, and forget it. That You have to stay on guard. These are the boundaries that are established. These are the boundaries that exist. Stay on guard. In Proverbs, this book of wisdom, chapter 4, as we look at this, in verse 23, guard your heart above all else. Guard your heart above all else. And then he says, why? For it determines the course of your life. Guard your heart above all else, above anything else you would guard. Guard your heart above all else. It determines what? It determines the course of of your life. And if you don't guard it, the course you take can be off of what God has in store for you. Guard your heart above all else, for it determines the course of your life. Heavenly Father, 
This is such a challenge to us at times. To, to, to even want to guard our heart. When, when we start rationalizing this domino effect and we start rationalizing poor choices and, and we go, that's just a choice I want to make. We willfully choose to do this. God, it can be so hard to choose to guard our heart. God, when, when we just begin to seek out what satisfies the moment, it's, it's, it's difficult to want to guard our heart as we conspire to cover up. God, it's hard as we get to the point where we're just so content with the collateral damage. God, help us to, to guard our heart. God, I pray that, that, that you would even show us that, that you're God of restoration, that, that the times that, that we've not guarded our heart, some of the choices that we've made, these, these choices that have caused so much harm, pain, hurt, heartache to ourselves, to others. God, help us to see that, that God, you're the God of restoration. God, that, that we, can, we can survive. We can survive what, what's happened to us. We can survive what choices we've made, what, what we've done when we put our faith, our hope, our trust in you. God, help us to get to this place and see that we can survive because Jesus of who you are and what you've done for us. It's in your glorious name that we pray.